Okay, um, welcome everybody to the Academy of Ideas Education Forum online. Um, my name is Harley Richardson. I um, hope you can all hear me. I'm one of the forum organisers, uh, but for my day job, I work in online education publishing. And I'm also the parent of a 15 year old who's currently attempting to study at home with, it has to be said, mixed results. Uh, but it's very good to see so many new as well as familiar faces uh, before me in this uh, wonderful gallery view. Um, and uh, I can see that people are joining all the time. So uh, we'll uh, um, hopefully, uh, well, we'll see how many we get, but we're expecting uh, somewhere towards uh, 80 to 90 people to turn up. Um, and for those of you who haven't attended an education forum event before, we're um, part of the Academy of Ideas which aims to encourage intelligent, open and rigorous debate in lots of different ways it does that. Uh, the Education Forum is one of them and it's been running for over 15 years. It's made up of teachers and parents and ac uh, academics and students, and basically anyone with an interest in education. And we meet at least every half a term to get to grips or at least try to get to grips with trends in education policy and practice in hopefully a collegiate fashion. Uh, we also organise a strand of debates at the Academy's annual Battle of Ideas Festival and we have um, a monthly column in Teach Secondary magazine, um, which you might want to check out. So we usually meet in person in central London, but that's not possible tonight for obvious reasons. Happily, however, it does mean we can welcome people from further afield who can't usually attend. I see we have at least one person dialing in from uh, Australia where it's the middle of the night. So as this crisis is affecting people around the world, it will be great to hear some global perspectives. Uh, so I've put everyone on mute for the moment, um, almost everyone. I can hear a few noises um, creeping in, but don't worry, there will be plenty of opportunity to speak during the next uh, 90 minutes or so. Uh, as you I think you will know, tonight's topic is digital pedagogy and the corona classroom. We're discussing this because with schools and um, colleges unceremoniously closing for many, for most students a few weeks ago, uh, um, teachers, pupils and parents who effectively found themselves in the midst of a population-wide experiment in online learning. Right now it's an experiment without an end date, at least in the UK. So one question we might want to consider is why has it taken a crisis for this to happen? At least as far back as the 1920s and the invention of the Pressy automated testing machine, there have been hopes that technology would transform education. In the two decades I've worked in the ed tech industry, I've lost, not, lost track of the number of times I've heard people claim that digital technology would solve education's problems. Technology was supposed to allow children to take control of their own education, and reduce the workload of teachers, just, just for starters. So I don't think that vision has come to pass yet, but maybe this is EdTech's moment. What can we learn from the crisis? Is there room in an online environment for the informal elements of education? How are teachers and pupils adapting to the experience? And are there any innovations that we might want to preserve when we return to normal school life? So I'm hoping we'll hear about people's experiences, both good and bad, let's see where the conversation takes us. Can kick things off, we have two great speakers who get the discussion started. Firstly, we have Donald Clark, who is an EdTech entrepreneur with over 30 years in the online uh, learning experience in the online learning business. He's the CEO of several companies, including Wildfire and Cogbooks. But he's more than just a tech guy. Just this week, he completed an online series of 100 learning theorists in 100 days. Well worth checking out. I'll post the <laughs> URL for his blog in the chat box in a minute. And secondly, we have Toby Marshall, who's a user of EdTech. 
Um, he teaches film studies and other subjects at schools and colleges in Essex and East London. He's a long-standing member of the Education Forum Committee as well as co-producer of this session. So we're going to stick to our normal format as far as possible. That means Donald and Toby will both speak for five to seven minutes each, then we'll go out to the audience um, and I'll run through how we're going to take audience contributions then. If you hear a big clunk at any point, that may be my jerry-rigged video camera setup um, collapsing. Uh, this is an experiment for us at the Education Forum too, so please bear with us if there are any technical hiccups. So I'm just going to uh, see if I can um, take Donald off mute and uh, just bear with this while I remute everybody else. Okay, uh, can everyone hear me okay? A little nod here and there. Good stuff. Okay, well, let me, let me start by saying, you know, that's right, I've spent actually 35 years in the sort of, you know, technology and learning game, and then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, parents and teachers were actually forcing their kids to take oodles of screen time. Uh, that was a little bit confusing for young people, I suspect, as the poachers suddenly became gamekeepers. But even though I've been a big advocate for technology and learning, I, I want to start with a, an observation in that I think after the closing down of schools by the authorities, uh, we did something that really was quite wrong here, leaving the schools to just get on with it, almost abandoning them, the DFE in particular. I would much rather that we didn't teach kids online in this period. I think we should have been thinking creatively about the solution, bringing the Easter and summer holidays forward, letting parents, many of them frontline workers, relax with their kids, not forcing this artificial school in the home environment for everyone. We could have brought the holidays forward and then got them back to school and got on with teaching, even if that meant delaying the first term of the university term, shunting that forward to the summer of 2021. But all we did was fall off the cliff in a sense. And I think this has been an interesting experience, but what can we learn from this? You know, that's what's happened. Let's live with that and see what we can learn from it. I mean, necessity is the, the mother of innovation, as it were. Uh, but I think a lot of people were really wrong-footed pedagogically here. And that, of course, was most exemplified by this University of Zoom. You know, everybody rushed to this medium in a desperate attempt to mimic what they do in the classroom on a screen. And yet we have 30 years of experience of doing this, saying that's the last thing you should be doing. There are plenty, you know, this is a different medium. It's not easy controlling 30 individual people with full feedback by just talking at a screen. So we had this, the eponymous Zoom, you know, Zoom being rushed. Everybody fell off the cliff into Zoom. And then, of course, we had the predictable backlash uh, where people were suddenly worrying about the, uh, the privacy issues in Zoom and people were getting Zoom bombed. That was mostly pranks by kids. It was mostly teachers not knowing how to use privacy and password settings in Zoom. Remember, Zoom didn't ask for this. Suddenly, 200 million people were using a piece of software that was never designed for the purpose of teaching. It was largely a corporate meeting uh, tool. So in a sense, Zoom was the wrong thing to do. You know, get on and lecture at kids uh, in this type of software. However, the, you know, what should have happened, and I think what started to happen when people realized that lecturing people wasn't quite the right thing to do because you're a distance in a sense, that in a way you're not in a classroom, is that you have to adjust. And first of all, don't go all anti-tech. You have to get the communications right with young people. You know, they're all fair with the technology. 
They know what this stuff is. So you have to sort of hide your anti-tech sentiments <laughs> in a sense and just communicate, get to know who's got the kit, who's not, what's the most appropriate tools. You really have to do your homework before suddenly teaching. But I felt that people rushed into the teaching without having done the preparation. Also, the sort of language of online classrooms is a bit odd. It's not a classroom. A lecturer or lecturer, you're not lecturing people. This is a different medium. It's a medium where you don't slam out lots of links and talk at people. In fact, in many ways, the online medium is a medium where sort of less is more. You have to, funnily enough, do less than you do in the classroom. Uh, it's not as if, as Harley said, it's not as if we haven't done this before. You know, we had, uh, we've had millions of people go through online, full degrees online, without ever met their tutors or other students. I've been heavily involved in that for many years. It's not people don't learn online. It's just very, very different. And I feel that schools were massively unprepared for this. Those that didn't have a virtual learning environment or LMS, didn't have an expert in the school whom you could turn to, didn't really know what tools they should be using. Should it be Google, Microsoft tools? But the big mistake going back to Zoom was that people went for synchronous learning, you know, as if the kids should be there in real time while you talked at them. Whereas actually asynchronous or non-real-time activity is where most of the focus should have gone. Uh, so the single biggest mistake in learning is usually, you know, Zoom, Skype, uh, the image of the talking head. Actually, when you're teaching, we've learned a lot about how to avoid talking heads in online learning. If you go to Khan Academy and you're learning maths, you don't see Salman Khan. You actually see the maths on the screen. So the talking head is not actually, it's mostly cognitive noise. It's good for introducing things, for giving feedback, perhaps, topping and tailing. But when you're teaching maths, as I have, you have to show the maths. Get rid of the face. The face doesn't add anything when you're deep in the deep thought of solving a mathematical problem. Uh, I think beyond that, you know, it's not as if kids don't learn at home. You give them homework, a horrible word, by the way, homework as if it were some sort of chore. That's how kids see homework as a chore by and large. But this is different. You really have to give them real guidance on the type of feedback. You've got to quantify the task. Be really clear about the task. How many words you've got to, they've got to give you? In what format? Real detail and deadlines as well. But of course, what people miss from the classroom is really the sort of human side of feedback. Even there, though, you have to switch your techniques. Don't imagine that you're going to give individualized feedback unless you've got good adaptive learning software to 30 people simultaneously. It's not going to happen. To be honest, it doesn't happen in the classroom either. It never happens in a classroom. If you're teaching 30 kids maths, there's no way you're cognitively diagnosing 30 people in real time as you're teaching. But the switch towards higher retention techniques, things like retrieval practice, space practice, can be done online in a way that they cannot be done in a classroom. If you change your whole pedagogy towards the affordances that online have to offer, then suddenly a new world opens up. Not the world of the classroom, but the world where online actually has some advantages over the classroom. Uh, you know, retrieval practice, space practice, lots of cognitive science around that sort of stuff that you can look at in, into later, no doubt. And then also the continuity, having a schedule, sticking to that schedule and so on. So I think people panicked and didn't really pick up on the, on the, on the stuff they should have picked up. But there's some nice lessons we've learned already looking at the feedback. 
One is that parents have become a wee bit more involved in their kids' education, and I think maybe gained a new respect for teachers, certainly, you know, uh, the behavioural problems that a teacher faces. I think many parents have faced that as well, the problems of motivation and behaviour. So perhaps the relationship between teachers and schools and parents will be different as we go forward here. And of course, parents have also had their minds opened up to resources that they can help their kids with. You know, if, if I got stuck in maths, my, neither of my parents could help me. But now we have Khan Academy, Hegarty, lots of things online where now that parents are aware of these resources, they can perhaps support the online learning in a way they didn't before. So more power to the parents. Certainly teachers have had to be upskilled, and that's a good thing. Teacher training has been appalling in this area by barely mentioning technology, barely mentioning it, despite the fact that almost everybody who leaves school will be using it in the workplace and in their life for entertainment and communications as we are now. That's an appalling dereliction of duty, I think, really. So I think this opening up and awareness of the tools, by it's been a crash course, of course, and we cannot blame the teachers for this, but uh, it's been a sort of experiential learning course for many teachers. Another lesson, interestingly, is this opening up of content. You know, we, you suddenly became, suddenly many parents and teachers are aware of the fact that they don't have to come up with their own content uniquely in every lesson. There is good online content out there that takes the workload off teachers. In maths, Khan Academy, Integrity Maths, Duolingo, well, there are BBC resources. They rose to the plate a little bit here by providing lots of resources. The difficult thing is personalised feedback and adaptive content. And this is where the UK and Europe are miles behind. So we have Squirrel and massive AI companies doing this on scale in China, full personalised feedback and adaptive content until we catch up we will always be behind, but I fear that we haven't really looked at that in any detail in the UK. Most of the action is either the US or in China. So I think teaching is king, but content is queen. You know, I think the fact that there is good online content, kids use this in homework all the time. They use YouTube all the time, they use Google all the time, they use Wikipedia all the time. They're used to that sort of stuff. I think learning at home will, in a sense, Get out of this homework, you know, design a poster or all that hokey stuff that every parent gets and goes, is this homework really? Perhaps this is, you know, maybe, you know, we've all as teachers raised our game here to realize that homework could be a much more sophisticated thing in terms of online learning. And perhaps we can start using the, the technology for marking and feedback. We can't, as teachers, complain about workload and then refuse to use technology for automating the things we don't like doing. So surely we should pedagogically move towards using the tech to do things that can be done well by the tech. And perhaps the leadership teams in schools should really focus on having a digital strategy rather than the sort of ad hoc adjunct approach they have to technology. Uh, I think CPD, interestingly, Twitter has exploded with teachers really doing the sort of CPD that you never get in an inset day. You know, learning from practitioners and online learning, people have been generous with their time and advice, I think. Maybe that has brought people on looking at CB, CPD through different eyes. Uh, and of course, those are the learners. This is what it's all about. Teaching is a means to an end, never an end in itself. And I think they've been forced. And maybe it's interesting. I was speaking to my niece today, and she felt that she got more done because she was in lockdown, <laughs> almost an enforced learning. Uh, she had lots of time in her hands. She could focus. It was quiet. So I think learners, you know, are more adaptable than we, than we may think. But of course, let's not be too positive about this because there's the big issue of equity. Kids who don't have access to the internet at the bandwidth we need at home. Uh, you know, this is no doubt going to arise in the discussion. But coming back to the establishment, 
you know, I really think it's been a, a mistake that we got rid of Bechter, the educational establishment, the DFE, the quality assurance bodies, Ofsted, are ridiculously negative about the use of technology and learning. Ridiculously negative. It's as if people can only ever learn in a classroom, which has always been a false premise. In fact, throughout my life, I've learned hardly anything in a classroom. I haven't been on a course. I've encountered a teacher for 40 years. That's not to say I haven't learned anything. So I think we have to be a bit careful about this premise that all teaching takes place in classrooms. We're clearly going to go forward with some sort of blend uh, uh, here where we'll have a, an increased respect for online learning. So I'll end there. I, I should add one thing. I think much bigger changes will happen in higher education. I think there will be massive changes there just because of the fiscal pressure. But for schools, we'll all go back to school, but we'll have a new respect and a, a new approach that includes online learning as part of the mix. Great, thank you for that. And for those who don't know, Bechter, you mentioned Bechter, but Bechter was um, the British Educational uh, Communications Technology Agency. It was a quango that was responsible for things like trying to get every um, every pupil in the country onto a learning platform. And, that, and they were shut down as one of the first acts of the coalition government in 2010-11, I think, as part of the bonfire of the quangos. But uh, thanks for that. So... Um, have schools been abandoned to online um, without enough preparation? Uh, so, Toby, I'm going to now um, unmute you, and it's uh, over to yourself. Hello, uh, hello, everyone. Um, good evening, uh, and uh, thank you, Donald, for that introduction. I thought it was most interesting. I think um, many, many um, areas of overlap um, in uh, our thinking. I think. Um, so I, I might be reinforcing some of those points you made. I think maybe the point of disagreement might be uh, not really disagreement, but a stress on um, uh, or a difference in the significance we attribute um, to the classroom. So that might be one thing to have to think about uh, as I'm presenting. So uh, I'm an A-level teacher. I've been teaching for 20 years in East London and Essex. Um, mostly I've taught film studies, um, but over the years, I've turned my hand to other subjects, including media and um, sociology. Uh, my interest in online education probably arose from the space between those subjects. Um, but uh, I'm, also, I mean, I'm also an enthusiast and one of the first wave of home gamers. In fact, I'm so ancient um, that I can remember loading up games using basic commands and cassette tapes on my Commodore 64. I'll just see if anyone recognizes that. But some people do. Uh, so that's how long I've just been a kind of enthusiast a little bit, um, but but not a programmer or any of those kinds of things. Um, so I do think, uh, so I won't be offering any technical um, or technological uh, answers to questions. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw out three provocations um, to uh, get people thinking about this um, that derived from my teaching experience. Uh, and if I'm being a bit one-sided in this, that's just to... Um, stimulate um, the discussion. So my first provocation is IT cannot compensate for education. Uh, my second is, uh, and I think Donald and I are in agreement on this, there is no such thing as an online classroom. Um, and my third point is that the home is not a school. Um, so uh, before I explain things, I just want to clarify a little bit of my mood. Uh, I do think we're living in exceptional times. There's a lot of fear about and anxiety. 
Um, but we are in the midst of an exciting experiment at the same time. Um, and I just think there's lots to learn and teachers are working very hard to make the best out of a very bad and challenging situation. Um, but as I said, there's much to learn and we should keep an open mind. Um, what is clear um, in my mind is that every day that schools are closed is a day lost to ignorance. Um, and in my thinking on this, I, I owe great debt to the work of the sociologist uh, Michael Young, who argues persuasively, in my view, that schools are specialised social institutions um, that uniquely provide the next generation with access to what he calls powerful knowledge. Um, schools, he argues, do this best when they have strong institutional boundaries between themselves and the outside world, um, as boundaries enable specialisation. Um, and I'm going to come back to the idea of boundaries um, at the end of my presentation. Um, so I just want to say one more thing before I explain uh, my provocations, and I suppose that's to state the obvious, which is that we're in a historically unique situation uh, where teachers cannot be physically proximal to their students. Um, and I think we should all be honest about this and, and accept that we don't know the consequences of this. Um, but I don't think you need a research from Google to tell you that this is going to have big implications um, for discipline. Um, so this brings me to my first provocation. Um, so the first one is IT cannot compensate for education. Um, IT, in my view, has been massively oversold, ironically, to the detriment of cause of IT in education. And one of the... Um, so the central problem here, I think, is that technology cannot compensate for the wider problems of our educational culture. Um, a bad pedagogic idea or practice is a bad idea online or off. Um, and indeed, it's all too easy to feel that we're being creative and innovative and meaningful in our teaching simply because it takes a digital form. Um, currently, we're all desperately trying to find a digital solution to a pressing social problem. And I think I'd go with Donald on this. Uh, we should have reorganized the school year and just said, look, nothing's happening, maybe. That might have been the best thing to do uh, to give us all time to work out a strategy. But I think in this context, it's very easy to make a fetish of technology. Now, that might be psychologically gratifying to take action, um, but it's no substitute for critical reflection and judgment. Um, so... I think it's especially important at this moment to distinguish our educational ideals, our theories, our practices, and then the communicative means by which we seek to realize them. Um, if we can get the former straight, um, then we can usefully think about the latter. My second provocation um, is that there's no such thing as an online classroom. I think it would be tempting to uh, conclude that technology simply expresses our values and provides a neutral context uh, or online space which can replicate the dynamics of the classroom. And I agree with Donald. Um, I just don't think this is true. Um, the way that we use digital technology will tend to give expression to our existing uh, educational culture, but in doing so, technology also provides us with something new. Um, ultimately, technology can even become a culture in itself. Um, now, I'd hold that if no two things are identical, um, then really we need a better name for our activity online and an online classroom because that's misleading. Um, for me, they're simply different, maybe inferior, maybe superior, but that depends on what we want to do with these spaces. Um, and obviously here it's really important to remove, to avoid sweeping generalizations because there's many different platforms and many different packages. Uh, and we shouldn't, uh, and I think again, I agree with Donald here, 
um, set up false choices. Um, we, uh, you know, we want options and choices and as many things as possible. It's not an either or. Um, but I do think there are important differences between digital and non-digital learning. Um, and I think maybe where I differ from Donald is I'm going to make a more sustained defensive classroom teaching, um, not to the exclusion of digital stuff, but um, just to kind of highlight why I think that's important. So the first thing is physical proximity. Um, physical proximity is important as it encourages discipline um, and it also encourages intense engagement. Um, what is so powerful about a live social gathering is it offers all participants a measure of freedom. A point that was made clear to me by an ex-colleague uh, just this week, he described, and he, was, uh, he had differences at school. He ended up just in the library because they couldn't, um, he wouldn't fit into the classroom, but he made, he gave a, a beautiful portrait of all the forms of communication that take place in the classroom. Um, you know, the notes being passed, the ironic gesture, the shrug of the shoulders. It's a very open and dynamic, for me, uh, community, context, uh, community context in which actually pupils ex exercise a high degree of agency. Ir uh, irrespective of uh, teacher supervision. And as all teachers know, the authority of the teacher is earned um, and highly provisional rather than programmed. And at any one moment, the attention of the pupil or indeed the whole class can go its merry way. Um, in addition to this, the classroom is also semiotically rich and flexible with multiple pathways, channels and associated signing forms. Of course, online classrooms, if we must use this term, can't, can replicate some of this. Um, but they necessarily do so in a mediated and therefore controlled and controlling fashion. Um, consider this context. Harley, if I'm boring you, you can switch me off. Um, if, we were, if we were sitting right next to each other, you'd have to ask me very politely. So there's a very different situation uh, online and offline. Um, and I don't know, you know maybe technology could um, be used in a different way, um, but it tends to have this programmed, channeled, kind of set of pathways. Um, and uh, I think I prefer something a bit riotous, a bit more riotous anyway, but you know, I am teaching humanities subjects and maybe that's part of what I do. Um, so my third provocation is a home is not school. Um, and this brings us back to the issue of boundaries. Um, here I'd like to look at Young's point about the school and college, but from a different angle. Schools and colleges are not the only agents of socialization or indeed, the most important, in my view. Um, families play the primary role in socialising the young. And I feel strongly that educators should respect the autonomy of families, just as we expect parents to respect our professional judgement and um, autonomy. Um, this point is important, as many parents I've been speaking to, who particularly have younger kids, um, are facing a landslide of expectations with regards to um, homeschooling. As such, some schools have, in my view, crossed over a boundary between the school um, and the home. I remember an ex-colleague of mine telling me that they had politely informed their child's school that they would be no longer doing any work set um, for their child at home. This was a few years ago. Uh, and I remember at the time, um, she actually was my boss, uh, thinking, God, this is a bit crackish. She's kind of mad, radical feminist. Um, but having had three kids, um, and uh, coming out the other side of that, I, I actually have come to admire my colleague's stance on just saying, my home is my home, I do this in my home, I do what I want to do in my home. Um, 
So I think home is home, school is school, teachers teach, parents parents. Uh, both ought to uphold each other's work. It, it's not uh, a competition between the two. It's a, ideally adults are united in um, this thing, but they should be respectful of the division of labour there. Home, like the school, is a specialised social context, which, like the school, um, seeks to nurture the next generation. However, life within the home is quite unlike the school. It is more spontaneous, it's convivial, it's unconditionally effective, uh, affectionate sometimes. Um, it's directionless in character, it's pointless, there's digressions, there's whimsy, um, narrative, it's not analysis. Um, teachers, in particular those in leadership positions, need to take care, in my view, that they don't just try and reconfigure the home as an adjunct of the classroom. Uh, so my conclusion is, um, IT cannot compensate for education. There is no such thing as an online classroom. Home is not the school, um, but my key point um, is we need to keep an open mind and we've all got a great deal to learn in a difficult but actually quite exciting situation.